This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast Playoff Edition, baby. Featuring Tim, a.k.a. Krangis McBasketball, and me, Tom Z. How you doing, Tim? Can't start anywhere else, but like, man, I'm pumped, psyched. I feel like we got a, a defibrillator straight to our basketball hearts with that Golden State, you know, play on game the other day. You know, I just, I, for most of that game, didn't think we were going to win, to be perfectly honest, after some of the things I saw. It wasn't super, you know, optimistic about how the game played out, but man, I was on the edge of my seat watching that game uh, with some families. So, Tim, Nick, I just want to start there. Like, what were your thoughts about that game? Are you, was your, were you as frustrated at the beginning knowing you were probably going to be? It was easier to go through knowing. Like, it was like a roller coaster, but it was a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster that I had the opportunity to just, like, look at before I got in line. So we knew that first quarter might be a little bit rough. And, and like, you know, I hung in there. It was okay. Uh, we saw the team make some adjustments in the second half. Some things worked. Some things didn't work. A couple guys played well. A couple guys didn't play well. Shout out to Alex Caruso for just being super reliable. Oh Shout out God. to Wes Matthews for coming in. No first half minutes. Comes in the second half. Completely shuts Wiggins down. Ruins my day on DFS. But <laughs> absolutely put that dude in jail. Um, at Caruso had Steph, you know, had this clamps on Steph, but uh, Schroeder and KCP, they didn't do as good a job on Steph, but I think having those three guys on him instead of one guy all game was really helpful. So at the end of the game, Caruso did have his legs still, and he was able to stay with Steph. And I mean, just the limiting his threes, the, the more aggressive screen coverages were working. Some of the back end rotations, I was a little bit iffier about, and they got some open shots from that. But for the most part, Steph wasn't turning the corner. He wasn't jacking up pull-up threes from ball screens. So we stopped some of the key things that Golden State wants to do. And it was just about, you know, you got punched in the face. You got to keep going. Even that third quarter, it wasn't so much that Vogel adjusted a bunch. It was more just those same guys, playoff intensity, Got lucky because Golden State flubbed a couple 3v2s or 2v1s, but they ran, they got easy points in transition and immediately closed that gap. And then just going into that fourth quarter, knowing that Steph's going to be sitting a bit, it was like, this is the time to make a move. Or end of third quarter, being in the fourth quarter, make your move now, take that lead, change the momentum. And then like we're last last playoffs, we had one like signature shot, that AD shot to win the game. 
we're one game for one game of having just a, a huge, like, going to be on my lock screen for a while kind of picture of a shot. <laughs> so, I mean, I couldn't sleep after the game. That was it was it was a lot of fun. Oh, my God. Yeah. That picture of him, like, you know, balls halfway up, Dre's under the basket looking. Curry's yep. like kind of starting to look back. It's Double such soccer to him, too. It's yeah, it's art, man. It's and how perfect for LeBron to make a like Steph like shot, you know, against him kind of really in a truly one on one kind of game. You know, AD was kind of floating mm-hmm. out there until the second half. He came alive. I also want to shout out yeah. Kuzma had some really nice defensive effort. You know, didn't mm-hmm. score a lot, but, you know, he. He was playing within the team scheme and uh, they were throwing out lineups once Dennis Schroeder got plugged out that really had no defensive holes and we're making good decisions on offense as well because Schroeder was pushing the envelope a bit too much, wasn't making smart decisions, turnovers, you know, four shots at the rim. He made a couple, but overall wasn't a great experience. Um, but, you know, Draymond played AD really well in the first half, although you don't really want to try to go one on one with him. AD, you know, Frank, maybe we can, you know, not just start with that. You know, uh, maybe yeah. let AD, you know, start getting some easier opportunities, make him switch off Dre, cross screen, stuff like that, that we just didn't see in this game. Right. I mean, the only cross screen I saw was first play of the game, that super long developing. Here's a fake ball screen. Here's a fake UCLA cut. That's the guy would be cutting into traffic. And then there's that cross screen, like super scoutable, really like Golden State negated every single action, whether it was a real one or one of those decoy ones. And that cross screen for a post up ended up being like almost a three point uh, catch. And then you, you immediately get that like free throw line contested fadeaway jumper. Uh, And that was a tough matchup for AD on Draymond. But another piece of this game that didn't go the way I was hoping it would go that we've talked about forever is that post help. And and Golden State sent a bunch of extra help on those. They they were sending baseline help coming from the high side. 21 post-ups, 15 times they sent help. So like three quarters of the time. And the Lakers countered it a good old goose egg zero times. So as much as Draymond did a good job on AD and they were doing a good job on like Drummond when he posted up a couple times or LeBron, it was a team effort for the Warriors. It was really that strength in numbers, you know, that, that motto. I don't know if they still use it, but they used to use it. That strength in numbers. And we saw that. So just changing the style of offense, I think, was key for the Lakers either, you know, get in transition in the third quarter and then second half, a little bit less posting up, a little bit more trying to penetrate, trying to attack on the move, catch on the move. Uh, actions like that, I think, helped jumpstart the offense a little bit because standing around and letting that defense slowly sag in uh, wasn't wasn't uh, working. And we saw that with Schroeder drives as well. A lot of his uh, pick and rolls, he'd be driving his baseline drive or whatever it happens to be. And the defense is just completely collapsed into the paint. And he gets to the rim well. He is a little bit iffy finishing at the rim. And Schroeder certainly takes hard shots at the rim. Isn't making that skip pass. And the Warriors, they just shut that valve off. And I know you said it during the game, like that move, and said it after the game, the move from Schroeder coming out west, I think it was west coming in, that really helped change the complexion of the final few minutes because it just was not working. And I hope Shooter doesn't get too down on himself because I think he will be important in this series. But uh, credit to Frank for making that adjustment, even if it was a little bit late. And uh, something I, I was doing some thinking these past couple of days, and I think the the best way I can describe the way Frank Vogel runs their tactics is he does as little as possible to barely win. <laughs> like he, he has his hand of cards. 
and he wants to use as few of them as possible to beat you. He doesn't care about blowing you out. I, I Tim would love to have the Lakers blow teams out. Tim's wallet would certainly love to have teams have the Lakers blow teams out because I, I lost a G on that last game. But uh, the, the, the Lakers, they're going to win. They're just not going to show all their cards. And it's not because they have the nuclear launch codes. And it's not because if you, you show these things and the defense counters, you can't adjust. I think they're not confident in their ability to adjust. So they don't want to show you anything before they have to. Um, and that can be bad because we get these closer games. And sometimes you lose those closer games. It can also be bad because we get late into this game and the Lakers – I don't know what they're doing on offense. They're they're running sets and actions that they didn't run all game. They didn't run all season. It's like where the hell? Like uh, who was it? Um, the Georgetown coach Patrick Ewing, uh, right? No, Jesus, I'm gonna get crushed for this. The the current <laughs> was, Georgetown coach. Who is the current Georgetown coach? Yeah, it's Patrick Ewing. Okay, okay, he was the one who we got that great mic'd up moment where he was yeah. like, "You practice that, that shot? Yeah, fade away one legged." <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here. I stood up, I think, for the whole second half. And I was I was yelling at the team like, Frank, you practice that play? You running these plays? Like, what is going on here? Like, the, the offense completely changed. It's, uh. it's just, it, it, it really annoys me. Because we know what the Lakers are good at. They, I think, know what they're good at. We know they're best when 80's out there at the five. But they just don't want to give it to us. And I just, just give it to me, Frank. Just show us what this team can be. So that was frustrating, but they yeah. won. So it's okay. And a lot of that has fallen onto Andre Drummond's shoulders, right? And you're starting yep. to see a lot of people. I know Mike Trudell kind of spoke up against uh, the Andre Drummond hate recently. And rightfully so. I think, you know, Andre Drummond is the avatar of frustration for Lakers fans of Frank Vogel. And not everyone really, you know, follows that kind of appropriation of blame. But he really is like the representation of not the player, but the idea. And I think you're right. I think what the Lakers want to do is they want to play confidently their game, which is big ball, right? That's how they got there last year, going into the playoffs, starting JaVale, having to take your medicine and adjust thereafter. I think you're right with that line of kind of, yeah, this is what we want to be at our best. This is what we think our best is. And, you know, we'll counter to what we need to with AD at the five. And I think, you know, low post is something crazy, like 99 percentile on offense and defense, you know, in terms of production. So it was like the, the net rating when AD is playing center. Right. Right. It's it's yeah. it's it's astronomical. And, you know, I think Raj brought this up recently on one of his spaces with with man Jason. I don't think teams have uh, have learned that AD at the five counter to uh, consistently go to because uh, man, that's a killer, and especially with shooting. So, yeah, we can move on from Warriors. Just couldn't uh, step away from such an epic game without giving it a couple moments of recognition. Yeah. And if I could just before we transition into the Suns, I want to make a comment on the Drummond thing. I agree with you. He's become he's kind of become the the whipping boy for a lot of people. And sometimes he's doing things not well. Sometimes he is playing well. And in general, I think with Twitter, you tend to see people go after the bad more than they praise the good. And, and we see a lot of like take awkward. like, I think he's bad. Therefore I'm going to, you know, try to reconfirm what my take prior lock. beliefs with something like that. Yeah. yeah. That take lock, you, you can't have that. And in season, season to season, like we see this all over the place. People who think Andrew Wiggins stinks like, well, no, he's better than he was a couple of years ago. Uh, things like that. Like, oh man, like Julius Randall isn't a winner. Well, no, he, his team was bad. 
he's he's the teams will be better but now he's better now like you have to be able to adjust as you get new information and i know that i have been in a position throughout the drummond experience where at the beginning it was yeah i would rather have damian jones than him th- you know thinking with LeBron and AD healthy. I prefer a guy who, you know, in that situation, I think he'll be more roll cut big. If he's your fourth or fifth option, I just want a strong finisher with a bigger catch radius on lobs that can block shots at the other end and play aggressive screen coverages, which I would certainly want right now. But when it came to the team signing a player, Drummond was the right move. And the team really needed what he was able to bring with those key players injured. So he's, he's, you know, been thrown into a new situation. This team is like barely practicing super difficult situation for him. And he's learning new rotations. And, you know, this team we trapped, I think against Dallas and outside of that, I don't know where Drummond really got to work on trap rotations since he joined the Lakers. So lots of new situations for him. Some of what he does is like bad in like a silly, like shacked in a fool kind of way. Um, and that certainly generates more attention than, you know, you know, grinding on the boards and doing some of those less notable, less highlight play sorts of things. Um, but a lot of the angst I know I feel about him and his minutes is less like I don't like you. <laughs> like, I think you're bad. It's more the team stylistically is a the best version of themselves with Anthony Davis playing center. And you happen to be the person in the way of that. And last year it was JaVale and it was Dwight. But last year, at the same time, the team wasn't talking JaVale up like he was some long-term all-star caliber piece. That's and that's point. for, that's that's for me, that's, that's the difference. That's what worries me because we've seen last year, you know, they started off with that vanilla game plan, started playing the way they want to play, and then they adjusted. This year, we've seen them do that same sort of thing, and they adjusted against the Warriors when they were down a dozen points. Are they going to wait till they're down a dozen points every game this series to do something like that? For me, I just want to make sure that they're capable and willing to pivot at the right time um, and not wait too late because you you don't want to drop a game or two because a guy who probably won't be back on the team next year from a a money standpoint, you don't want to go down with with that ship if he's just not the right move. And it's about putting players in the positions to succeed. There are matchups. There are games. We'll talk about this in a couple minutes. Drummond makes sense against certain teams. Trez makes sense against certain teams. Gasol makes sense against certain teams. And we've we've went through that. It's not, I don't like Drummond, don't play him ever. Um, but if you're going to throw out the same group, the same game plan, the same rotation to start every matchup, sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's just, you know, from the start, we know it's probably not going to work. And instead of getting your butt kicked for the first eight minutes of a game or something like that, just put players in better positions to succeed that should grow their confidence more than a stubbornness and sticking to something. Even if a lot of people, us, and maybe even them know it, it won't work. So, I mean, shout out Drummond. He's been doing a lot of good. He's played uh, very well recently and it's not his fault that like throw Gasol in and take him out. And when the Lakers don't have ball handlers, suddenly, even if Gasol's playing at a similar level, stylistically, they're playing better basketball and the pieces fit together better. That's its own thing. 80 at the fives, its own thing. But Drummond doing Drummond things, you know, he's in a tough situation. He's in a new role. It's not a great role for his skill set, but he's out there battling and, and shout out to him. Absolutely. Um, he's definitely been the whipping boy on Twitter, but uh, he's made some pretty crazy like recovery blocks in the last week or so that it looked good. Just kind of and yeah. also uh, just general energy, just knowing where he needs to spend it, um, like having a sense of urgency in the pick and roll. I've noticed have all been good kind of uh, developments, but 
let's move on a little bit, Tim, because we are going to, as you mentioned, preview this Phoenix series now that we know who we're playing. So this one might be a longer one, but we're going to go in deep and talk about this matchup here. So uh, we know where the Lakers are starting from as far as their, um, you know, injury situation. Now that they have mostly the full slate, uh, they're going to be mostly put together. But let I kind of want to start at least just kind of put a, a thumb on the pulse of the Suns rotation for some context. Last time we played them, we didn't have LeBron, AD dominated, but they didn't have, I think, uh, what was it, Cam Johnson? as well so Mm -hmm. he's recently back right tim and this is gonna be his first game back from having a cast on so he's an important part of their lineup because in that first game he really hurt them stretching the floor uh because he's pretty tall too he's like not exactly you know gonna defend the rim or anything but he's just long and you know body and arms in the way is always helpful great three-point shooting and he can also shoot on the move so he's an important thing to look at but what are some other kind of lineup stuff or trying to get a finger on this pulse uh Aiden was just coming back too right yeah so Aiden had a knee injury he's good to go he had missed the past I believe three games so this is his first game back like you mentioned Cam Johnson he had a wrist injury had a cast on as recently as a week ago from today uh got it taken off on Monday and he actually before he went out he played through injury for a couple games and shot like 15 percent from three and was just really really bad so this is his first game back as well so uh, moving into this series i anticipate and i actually talked to uh mike uh vigil from the timeline suns podcast also on blue wire and i asked mike like hey what do you expect from the rotation for the suns and he told me the starting five which for them is chris paul devin booker mikhail bridges uh jake crowder and DeAndre Ayton, and then he expects uh, Sarge to play, he expects Camp Johnson to play, and he expects uh, Payne to play as well. So that's kind of mm-hmm. that's going to be their core eight-man rotation for this series, but for this first game, at least, I, I think at least for this first game, maybe more, we should expect uh, Torrey Craig to play some minutes. He was the one that was taking over those Camp Johnson minutes, and then right. Frank Kaminsky might get some time. He was who was filling in for Aiton when Aiton went out. So depending on those two injuries to two of their eight core rotation players, that can help swing this series. But uh, for the the meantime, expect maybe some Kaminsky, probably some Torrey Craig. Probably, he'll probably get a stint regardless in Game One. But that's really who we're looking at with this Phoenix team. I think Lakers should root for any uh, Frank Kaminsky minutes, to be perfectly honest, because it's almost like the Myers Leonard of the finals. You know, he didn't get a lot of run because, I mean, you can try it, but Spolster are smart enough to know that's just not going to go well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, you know, it's playing into the Lakers hand, I should say, because any of those centers the Lakers have should be able to take advantage of him. But no, I just wanted to bring that up to get a sense of them because we've talked so much about the Lakers side of rotations, give you some context for maybe Johnson plays a few less minutes to your point getting you know that intel from from the suns guys because that's important kind of change tory craig is much more limited uh, and doesn't have a, a as clear a present of skill as cam johnson does so um yep. but as far as lakers personnel go i expect the same schroeder kcp lebron ad drummond starting five so we talked previewing this matchup a little bit so we can do it again here but do you expect this to be a a series where Drummond can you know maybe take advantage of Aiton in the post and provide some positives without being exploited too much from those guards in Booker and and, uh, Chris Paul 
Yeah, uh, yes and no. This is much more a Drummond series than that Golden State game. From a defensive standpoint, he's going to be able to be a little bit more in his element. In the post, hopefully not posting up, because I don't really want him posting up against Aiton. That's going to be a, a disadvantage for the Lakers. But in the post, on the boards, I think Drummond is actually even both ways. We're probably going to see some offensive rebounding from those two because those are two of the bottom four centers in the NBA in terms of box out rate. So but if it's, it's anyone other than Aiton, Drummond can he's way bigger than anyone yes, else is kind of yes. my point. So if they get any kind of switch, he can exploit those better than maybe yep. another team's four. Absolutely. And I was up until like two in the morning last night because I couldn't I couldn't turn my brain off every couple of minutes. I'd be like, oh, here's another way to get Andre Drummond guarded by Chris Paul. And I like pull my phone out and jot some notes <laughs> down and then put it away. And then another five minutes later, I have another one. Yes, that is a great, uh, <laughs> a great preview of what's going to ha- what I'm going to talk about. But this can very much be Drummond not posting up his matchup. But if you can get him on some of those smaller guards, um, some of the guards and wings that Phoenix has, yeah, we can see him just bury dudes. And it'll all kind of depend on how Phoenix defends the Lakers' ball screens, and we'll get to that later. But depending on what they do, the Lakers can still try to target those same sorts of mismatches. But in general, I think Drummond has a much better chance to uh, get on the offensive boards. I don't think Phoenix is going to just kind of like, in general, pack the paint as much as we saw from Golden State, but that's certainly something the teams will try to do against the Lakers. I I do want to call out, I do think Trez probably won't play or I shouldn't play in this series or much in the series. Um, if he does, maybe it's at some power forward minutes. Uh, we saw that him and Gasol, this was actually the team we saw it against a few games ago and it looked okay. He, he looked okay in it versus Cam Johnson. You worry about Cam Johnson running off of screens, which only generally happens on average once a game where he gets a shot off. But if that's the matchup, they'll probably use it more. Um, but if Jay Crowder's out there, uh, that's like a stationary shooter. You can you can have Trez out there against him. Um, I think Gasol could be useful in the series. I don't think I don't expect to see a lot of it from the start. But as the series go, goes on, maybe we go to that. Uh, the so we talked about the beginning of the first quarter against Golden State. The end of the first quarter against Golden State, the Lakers were running out Schroeder, Caruso, Kuzma, AD, Harrell as a lineup, and actually. In the beginning of there, we, we also had KCP in for Schroeder, so Caruso was the point guard. Those lineups went two for nine shooting, looked very disorganized, and these are minutes that on Phoenix's end, they're going to be going smaller. This is when Aiton sits. And for the Lakers, this I, in my brain, I'm thinking, you know, there could be a game plan where you start with Drummond at the center, then you play Gasol at the center to end the first quarter, and you get him able to help get guys organized, get dudes cutting, and just generate some better offense. And then we see 80 at the five second quarter. And then in the third quarter, you start with Drummond again, depending on that first, how that first stint went. And then we probably get 80 at the five for the rest of the game. But I think you might see a Gasol stint in here just to help, you know, have some structure around the offense. And he's also somebody that in the regular season matchups was really effective defensively, offensively. Like I we'll see if the Lakers need to go to him. And as we talked about, like they may not go to something until they need to, but I think there's potential for him to play more, but I do think this is a very much a drum and can play drum and can play well kind of series. So this uh, matchup, this recent one where AD dominated them is actually the first game we got Gasol Trez minutes at the five, mm-hmm. four respectively. So that's just something to keep in mind. I know it's late season, you know, uh, play uh, regular season versus playoff game. But um, I, I, would expect Trez to get back up five minutes first because 
to what I said earlier about Lakers going with what they think is their best shot. Uh, so it didn't look great, you know, Trez guarding Saric uh, the first time. And so there could be some issues there. But with the more recent, uh, you know, indication from Frank said he maybe likes Trez at the four and mm-hmm. he, you know, closed out on a Jay Crowder uh, three, you know, his first kind of possession in that five four. I remember tracking kind of yep. what he was doing. He I just rewatched him. that. Yeah. Yeah. He almost fouled him. But it was, you know, he was there. He, 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 like I mentioned about, he's sagging off a little bit too much in that situation. He didn't need to. So we had that whole conversation a few pods back if you want to listen to that. But mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, we also, we've seen like literally six, seven different dudes in the different Phoenix matchups this season play center. Dudley got run at center. That didn't look too good. You know, I just say he's an option now because I know he's back, right? So that's a, in theory an option. Keith hasn't played in a while. He was actually yeah. making threes back then. And I like think Keith's Keith, out. yeah, Keith with the brawn, maybe, but probably not. Yeah. So I'm just saying what we've seen before. Damian Jones. You know, you know, did his thing. (laughs) He did. He was. He did. He was fine. Yeah. Um, But to just to, you know, kind of think about how this team is matched up with the Suns over the course of the season a little bit more. Um, So I I hope we see Gasol, but I I don't know. I would expect Trezit Center, though, based on, uh, you know, kind of what I'm expecting from Mark. But other co- couple yeah. of things, uh, I think this is through and through. Wes Matthews should get 20 minutes minimum and uh, call it a day and figure everyone else out around that. What do you think about the wing stuff? I agree with that. This, Wes needs to play. Wes can't sit the whole first half. He mm-hmm. is going to be an important piece against Booker. And Booker's the one matchup that I'm, I've been doing a lot of thinking about. I don't think I want to see KCP on him per se. I think the size there is going to allow Booker to get shots off the way Wiggins was able to get shots off against KCP Caruso perhaps as well. But I think Wes would be a good option. I think Kuzma could be a good option. And with either of those guys, if you end up switching ball screens at all, then, you know, those are two, you know, Wes is a little bit beefier and, and Kuz has played power forward before in his career. Those are guys that, especially against these smaller sons, bigs, I'd feel okay about. So you don't really give up anything on that side of the switch. So that's something to think about. THT, I want to hear your thoughts on THT because I think this might be a series he could play in. I mean, his penetration is going to really matter. This is a team that has some poor, poor guard defense from their two star guards and him being able to penetrate and against a team that doesn't have good rim protection can be really, really helpful offensively and defensively. I was watching his minutes on Booker and I was like, man, I don't, I don't hate this. Like this, he's bothering him. Him at the point of attack, man, it's a legit option because if he's on the court to be a defensive point of attack defender, you can live with the off, you know, the spacing issues on offense Mm -hmm. and then the defense, because that's what I mean about THT. It depends when and why he's on the court. Because if he's point of attack defender, you know, on Booker when CP3 sitting or something like that, like late first yes a thousand percent yes because he really did like exploit some of those no Aiton. they don't have rim protection so he was really able to kind of play his game despite the lack of outside shooting yeah from a second unit standpoint i want i don't want tht with the starting unit i don't think from a second unit standpoint tht or mark are both good possible shots in the arm for the laker offense either tht penetrating or mark getting guys cutting running those dribble handoffs stuff like that both of those, I think, are good options that uh, in, in 
given how Phoenix attacks you on the other end, I think you can play both of those guys more in this matchup than against that Golden State matchup where I was a little bit more worried. So we'll see if we get that. But if THT's out there, we know why. And he's in a pretty decent spot. We, we've talked on previous pods about how in the playoffs he might be, he's a matchup dependent kind of player. There are going to be certain times where it's like, yeah, this is a good spot to play him and, and he can go kick, but you can't play him all the time because there will be those times where it's not a good matchup for him. This might be one of those against bench Suns lineups where he can go out there and go attack campaign or Chris Paul, or like, it depends who's out there exactly, but this is going to be a short rotation. And the more that you can attack those Phoenix guards and make them defend and attack when Aiton's off the court, the better you're going to do. We actually, um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the game, but the Suns played a key game. I forget who they were playing. It might've been Portland where Aiton sat, Aiton was out and there's just no rim protection and we need my like takeaways from that game to look like these Lakers second unit minutes around so Aiton sits end of Q1 beginning of Q2 and same thing for third fourth quarter so around those two turns you got to be penetrating you have to be attacking that lack of rim protection because otherwise you're just letting them get off you know scot-free without exposing that biggest weakness so THT can get some time. And if he's out there, man, I, I think he can put up some good performances. Look, and, and despite the, the Suns are, are six on defense per clean the glass, 100 to 111.5. So not top five, but top 10 solid, right? Six on offense, six on defense. But truth be told, Tim, they don't have a lot of rim protection when Aiton's on the court either. He, hey, he's, he's a, he's, he's good. He is a good, not great rim protector. He, I, part of why he's not protecting the rim as much is because they use him. Like he, he's one of, I think only Chris Boucher defends more shots at the rim and threes per hundred possessions among okay. centers than Aiden. It, part of why he's not a, a guy we see as a rim protector is because he is a more versatile defender, not like a guard one through five kind of guy, but sure. they'll ask him to be on the perimeter a little bit more. If we look at his average rebounding distance on the defensive end, you kind of see this as well. Hey, he's getting his rebounds out further than most centers. That's because he's asked to defend on the perimeter more than most centers. So he's a, he's, but you're right. He's not an elite rim protector. He's not somebody you go into the series saying crap. Like this is Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert back there. We can't penetrate. You can penetrate against Phoenix's front line, and if you get past that front line, I like your odds. Um, and the thing about Phoenix is because they run such a short rotation, because we're not scared of Kaminsky, because Sarge isn't a rim protector, if you can attack with penetration at Aiton and get him in any kind of foul trouble, this defense completely falls apart. It's like a house of cards in terms of the Phoenix Suns defense if you're able to get rid of that one guy who is a good, not great rim protector. He's he's like Schroeder's ball handling but for their defense, compared to what else they have, it it, it grows in terms of value because <laughs> the fall off from him to, you know, the fall from Schroeder to Alex Caruso in terms of driving and, and finishing at the rim is similar to their drop off in terms of protecting the rim. So I like penetrating. I like guys cutting. I like going at him. You're maybe maybe he'll block some shots. Maybe you'll miss some shots, but go at him a lot more than I want to go into this series saying we're going to post up 80 times and let the defense sag into the paint and try to beat you with everybody standing still instead of us, you know, bodies moving at the rim, cutting, driving, all of that sort of stuff. So to put a quick 
quick point on what we were talking about earlier. If you see Marcus Saw come in at the end of the first quarter to relieve Andre Drummond, Tim is optimistic and hopeful about rotations going forward. If you see Trez, maybe not, but you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I think that he can, again, the Lakers think that maybe his physicality can provide offensive rebounding that'll outweigh the negatives, but um, it also depends on Booker's making shots. Chris Paul is distributing through the pick and roll. But uh, so let's let's go to Phoenix rotation as well, because they're very specific roles, well-defined roles for these this team, which is, I think, what has allowed them to succeed on on the team level that they have um, because they have talent. But more importantly, they have I, specific I like concrete roles mm-hmm. for these players yeah. and what they do in the offense where Chris Paul does a lot of pick and roll. Right. He's going to pass out. He's going to take shots in the mid range and, and, you know, generally set the table. And now that Chris Paul's there, Booker can work more off screen as a traditional two, you know, starting under the basket on plays. So we'll talk about kind of how to guard those guys more specifically. But these roles, right, they're all mostly stationary shooters with two on ball. It's like Houston almost in the last playoffs, but not like such a small ball extreme. They still have that one, you know capella proxy so that's why i'm trying to like think about this team more and how they might kind of play and how the lakers might guard them with that aggressive you know high ball coverages yeah it's a team that in the regular season was like they're very good this is a very good team the reason i feel very optimistic is because yes they're very good but they're also very exploitable in a lot of different ways and part of that is certain guys have certain jobs and if they need to do more than they normally do it does not look good if DeAndre Ayton needs to start short rolling and playmaking in those situations, it yep. does not look good. If you need Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder catching, and instead of just catching and shooting, which they do like 80, 85% of the time on their spot ups, they just catch and shoot. They're stationary shooters. They're not like, that's their job. If you need them to catch and attack a closeout and then make a skip pass and then the next guy attack a closeout, that is not going to go well for Phoenix. So it's it's about... And this is going to lead into how I want to defend ball screens. Get the ball out of the hands of their two key playmakers. Make their yep. wings have to put the ball on the floor. Make their yep. bigs have to playmake because there's not a semblance of playmaking talent with the the bigs that they have. And they're good at what they're good at. But if you can make them do what they're not good at, which you can do by trapping and getting the ball out of the hands of, of Booker and CP3, suddenly this team that had been very good is suddenly running a completely different offense where everybody's doing the wrong job. You know, the quarterbacks at wide receiver, the wide receivers at running back, they've got offensive linemen like uh, needing to play tight end. I don't know. That's, that's the idea here is look at where you can take away their strengths, push them towards weaknesses. And when we look at some of the tendencies for these guys, Crowder, 85% of his spot ups are catching and shooting. Cam Johnson, 80% of his spot ups are catching and shooting. Um, Booker and CP3, tons of pick and roll, like you said, some ISO, that's about it. Booker will use some off-screen stuff. Um, but even Booker's ISO, of the 42 players this year who've had at least 100 isolation scoring attempts, he's 36th. His ISO has not been good. So if that's what they fall back on, 
I'm okay with that. And and I've tried to keep a pulse on the Suns folks throughout the year. They've been very up and down about Booker. Like there are things to mm. be worried about with him from our perspective, but there are also things that their fans are worried about. And that ISO play is something that if that's how they're going to beat the Lakers, he's going to have to play better than he has. So I feel okay about that. Um, Mikel Bridges is someone who uh, offensively, he will attack closeouts. Um, he's also a huge you know, he's going to cut frequently. So off ball, you can't have guys falling asleep when they're guarding Mikel Bridges. You cannot get back cut. We can't see KCP or Kuzma or Wes or Schroeder, not Schroeder, but whoever's guarding him, you can't fall asleep because he will run right to the rim. He's at, he has almost 80 scoring chances this year just from cuts, which is a lot for a wing player. Sarge, he's going to pick and pop. He's going to spot up. He hasn't been hitting his threes and that's it. And then with DeAndre Ayton, he'll post up, but he, is uh, tw- ranks 22nd in efficiency of 31 players with 100 or more post-ups. Um, LeBron's 6th. Andre Drummond is 31st out of the 30. Trez is 20th, 80s, 15th, just for some perspective. But he hasn't mm-hmm. been, he's not a, a big man that's going to beat you in the post, and that's how they're going to win this series. Uh, he'll, you know, do his dump-offs. He'll get a couple putbacks per game. So if, as long as you box him out and you don't let him catch rolls deep, he's not somebody you have to be incredibly worried about. So, Everybody on this team has one or two things that they do a lot and they're good at. You just have to find ways to knock them off their game. And suddenly this is a team that not they're very young, not a lot of play, playoff experience. Chris Paul certainly has plenty, but this is a team I think the Lakers can turn a 6 nothing run into a 16 nothing run against. Yeah, no, I agree. And just putting into context, you know, I try to watch film on this matchup in the regular season, but so much has changed, blah, blah, blah. I said that before. Um, we started Trez Keefe in one matchup uh, in the first matchup. They were showing pretty aggressively uh, in pick and rolls with Trez. And my dude, Aiton didn't even know to park in the short roll a lot of times. He rolls like hard like he's going to get an alley-oop. And he doesn't even see that the read is to stop, let alone what he's going to do with it once he gets it. So I'm not optimistic about if even if the coaches coach that up, because you can do that now that you know the actions. It's probably easier for a player to understand, Okay, now you need to do this because this Mm because you repeatedly play the same guys, you know, but um, it's it's bad. When he does when he does get there, when he does get there and I watch this film, it's a lot of ugly mid-range jump shots. He's he's not developed his mid-range right. game yet and it's a lot of just not pretty drives. It's we're we're talking Yusuf Nurkic last year short roll stuff. It's if the Lakers can turn game 1 into a DeAndre 8 needs to make short roll decisions game, you're going to win that game from the Lakers perspective unless you, you know, shoot 20% on threes and LeBron AD and Schroeder 2 for 22 to start the game again. Uh very exploitable. Good at what he does, very promising young player, but if you can you, you can make him look bad in the series by pushing him into the wrong things, or the I guess the right things for the Lakers. So I think something they do often too is like I said, put Booker under the basket. And if if you do that kind of action, you have what like DeAndre Ayton rolling to the basket, and if he wants, he can stop and set a screen on Booker's guy and just pops into a wide open, you know, free throw lane jumper. Mm-hmm. Um but so yep. there's like you could probably want to 
guard Booker. He's going to come off screens. You want to guard him like facing the baseline, right? You don't want him to be able to just run up. You want to force those wide at least and go over those screens and show and and trap and blitz and play aggressively like a Steph Curry because those guys will hit those pull-ups, right? And and you want them to get rid of it too, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and hit a mid-ranger. Um, but their spacing is good, and that's what makes those defending those driving lanes hard. And I do think the Lakers can get into trouble this uh, series if they if they start over fouling um, on some of those drives because they have good, you know, they have a couple of guys who can get to that rim. And and uh, you know, Chris Paul, it's weird in the couple games they played hasn't shot a lot mm-hmm. in these games, and I don't think you should expect that going forward so and i'm curious to ask and we might hop on with those uh timeline guys to uh do some spaces or locker room stuff coming up so i'm curious to ask them what you know chris paul's aggressiveness kind of manifests itself like yeah and it's going to be similar to how when like teams go under lebron ball screens he's not able to like it downhill versus chris paul if you're showing hard on ball screens or you're trapping he's gonna make the smart play he's gonna process really quickly get the ball to where it needs to go and then, you know, if it's getting to Sarich or Aiton or some of these guys that aren't playmaking, it doesn't look good for their offense. Chris Paul made the right decision. He's not going to force up bad shots. But by him complying, he's also not getting shots up. So that is where, versus this team, you can take them out of what they want to do. And they have to be creative from an X's and O's standpoint to counter that and work around that. Because the normal go-to counters to trapping aren't things that the Suns are very good at. And Chris Paul's a shorter guard as well. So, yeah, there's there's a lot. You've covered a lot. Um, I think Booker off screen is certainly something to worry about. It's not what he does most, but he does it often. And you mentioned the plays where he starts under the basket and comes up. Those are, you know, effective plays for them. There will also be plays where he starts under the basket. Chris Paul gets a ball screen from DeAndre Ayton. And then if you are in drop coverage with the Lakers, the Lakers won't be, but if you are, then Devin Booker will go set a back screen on that dropping big so that Aiton gets a wide open, right, uh, right. you know, they'll throw a nice little like lob layup or something for him. So drop coverage is something this team's very good at attacking. Catch edges, the Lakers' base screen coverage is something I don't anticipate is going to work great in this series because of how crafty Chris Paul and Devin Booker are about attacking east-west against those, either to force a switch while also by buying that time, it lets Aiton, instead of being in a short roll, get to that long roll. And the longer Chris Paul makes Drummond or Gasol or whoever, AD, stick with him before recovering, the more spacing there is. And instead of Aiton catching at the free throw line with shooters in the corners, it's Aiton under the rim and shooters in the corners for two defenders. And you're in a tough spot. So... You, you don't want to – you have to worry about that catch edging because they're really smart about attacking it. Instead of that, I think trapping and forcing the ball out quickly so eight needs to catch or Sarge needs to catch above the free throw line instead of below the free throw line is going to result in much better results for the Lakers. That's something I want to track during the series. What do the results look like when in a roll the Phoenix guys are catching above the free throw line? instead of below the free throw mm. line in general it'll be less effective but for this for this series i think it's going to be drastic given their strengths and weaknesses um i before we dig into more actions i think i want to note on the other end of the court from a matchup standpoint um i guess on both ends of the court from a matchup standpoint they use mikhail bridges as a wing stopper 
but also as a point of attack defender. He's going to take on the best guard or wing that the opposing team has. Against the Lakers, that's LeBron. So he's not going to be... He, he actually most often defends like point guards. By him defending point guards, it lets Booker defend the twos. And then what the Suns do is they hide Chris Paul on defense. His, his matchup difficulty is like a D minus. He's in that helper role, which is what LeBron does. But LeBron's super active with it. Chris Paul isn't actually really active with it. He's more hiding than helping. Um, it's like the off-ball, not really doing anything kind of role. He's guarding stationary yeah. shooters most of the time. Like he is. I looked at like how frequently we have a metric at B-Ball Index that looks at like how much you move on defense relative to what we would expect given who you're guarding. And he's like second or third lowest in the entire NBA. Like he does <laughs> not. He takes defense off like more than anyone I've seen the Lakers more than anyone the Lakers are going to play potentially in the playoffs so if you by having Bridges out there this is the key thing by having Bridges out there uh, starting and having LeBron out there Bridges will take LeBron if the Lakers play big Crowder's going to take Crowder or Johnson will take AD and then Aiton will take whatever the Lakers center is Um, that leaves Chris Paul and Devin Booker to take the two Laker guards so if you have Caruso KCP or Wes Caruso, or any any combination of those three, you still kind of let Chris Paul take off on defense. If you have Dennis Schroeder out there, suddenly either Schroeder's attacking uh, Devin Booker, who's a kind of a taller guy and he's not a good defender, or he's making Chris Paul work and have to defend at the point of attack. So this is a matchup where I think Schroeder being able to drive and attack at the point yeah. of attack when you're not uh, when you when LeBron's out there, so Bridges can't defend Schroeder is going to provide advantageous opportunities for the Lakers so if Schroeder just has you know some crazy game where he goes off we're going to hear the narratives about how he you know you know I played poorly that last game I really needed to up my game no it's because Chris Paul is going to have to play some defense in this series so that's something I'm looking forward to and just in general with how I want to attack this defense I want to penetrate I want to attack the rim but I want to attack Chris Paul and I want to attack Devin Booker because those are guys that either are very negatively impactful on defense or aren't being asked to do much just because Chris Paul's older in his career. He's a smaller guard. Like That is, to me, a big point of emphasis. It needs to be a point of emphasis. Lakers against the Warriors didn't go after Steph much at all until the very end of the game, and when they did, it didn't look organized. I want to see them go after that earlier in the games, earlier in the series, because if you can make Chris Paul have to work for seven games on defense, maybe get him in some foul trouble, maybe get some uh, Andre Drummond burying him under the rim, I-, I can't wait to see those you know cutaways of him losing his mind and complaining to the refs because a guy like 100 pounds heavier than him is like completely backing him down. Uh, I'm curious to see. I think Schroeder has the opportunity to succeed in this series based on the matchups. Uh, and if he doesn't, I will I will start to worry. I mean, yes, he's probably not quite up to snuff and conditioning. Um, but if he can't succeed in this matchup, you know, Tim, over the last couple weeks, starting Alex Caruso in his uh, absence, really starting to put things in perspective of who is valuable to mm-hmm. you and Schroeder's skills are valuable but for my money i'd rather give a bag to the bald man wearing number four the bald eagle Caruso. yeah yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah regular season yeah they're both good they have their merits gun to your head playoff yeah. time you need to win this game i trust alex caruso i yeah. trust alex caruso to cut to play defense on ball, off ball, to knock down open threes, to go, you know, run in transition and make the right passes or go dunk over somebody a lot more than I trust 
what Dennis Schroeder provides on both ends of the court. And it's the same sort of thing with Trez too. Like both of those guys came to this team and people, you know, I'm not going to take shots at people, but they're like, ah, this is the, you know, most talented Lakers team way better than last year. There's no stopping these guys. You just added six man a year and six man of the year runner up or whatever it was. Well, there's a reason these two guys have struggled in the playoffs in the past. And there's a reason Trez has, his defensive impact has dropped more than almost any big. Oh, other than Andre Drummond from regular season to playoffs in the past. Like there are holes in their games in the regular season. It was super helpful. And we wouldn't be where we are right now if Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee um, and, and Avery Bradley needed to be doing what those guys were able to provide from a scoring standpoint. But at this point in the season, you just have to shift. You have to pivot. And Caruso is one of those guys I trust. So it's going to be an interesting situation where if Crusoe is out there in crunch time, which I think he should be, Chris Paul can try to hide. So that becomes a, his man isn't attacking him. Crusoe's not going to go at him. And I don't know if I want Crusoe to go at him. Instead of that, you need to put him in actions. You need Crusoe setting ball screens for LeBron or for eight. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. D, I think that would be really interesting. Uh, you need uh, Caruso setting cross screens for Andre Drummond. Um, those sorts of things just to exploit the clear weaknesses that in the regular season teams aren't going after, but in the playoffs, those are the holes and you need to go after those holes in this defense. All right, Tim. So let's take a quick break. Uh, I know we're going along today, but uh, we'll come back. I want to dive into the Suns offense a little bit more because I feel like that's the big, you know, Lakers defense is their specialty. So we'll dig into that uh, and then we'll we'll probably find some solutions to some things that could help the uh, the Lakers offense, you know, try and keep up with this Suns offense. But we'll take a quick break. All right, back from break, Tim. As I mentioned before, Suns, you know, what they're good at, like playmaking, ISO, you know, pull-up, shooting. So those are all things that we have just saw the Lakers defend at a high level uh, in Steph Curry. And we saw Steph is a different animal than a Devin Booker, which makes should make us all very optimistic about at the what they can do uh, against Devin Booker. So... What are some things uh, outside of the blitzing uh, and putting those guys in a situation? I personally think maybe less KCP. KCP's fine, but I almost like more of that THT, you know, idea. Wes, I think, will be crucial in this. You're talking on defense against this offense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just concepts that we'd like to see, considering some of the yeah trends we've seen lately. So there's flexibility. 
I agree you want more size on Booker because the Suns have so many stationary shooters at their wing and big positions. You can still play KCP and you just have KCP guard Mikel Bridges and you have Wes or THT or Kuzma who, you know, is bigger than KCP go guard Devin Booker. I think that's the solution where you still play. I, I want KCP playing. I think he can be a very reliable piece on both ends of the court. Just don't put him in those bad matchups and you know, you don't have to bench him just instead of slot, you know, moving him up a, a spot against somebody who is bigger than him. Bridges is longer than him. He's bigger than him. He's not going to challenge KCP in the same kinds of ways that other uh, small forwards might. So I think that's my solution to that sort of situation. I'm glad you brought up the pull-up shooting because I was looking at this Suns offense and just at a high level trying to say like, all right, what do they do? You know, what's their, like the thesis of how they attack? The Lakers, we'd like to post up. We like to get LeBron AD isolating. Um, we want to, you know, beat you on the boards, that kind of stuff. The Suns offense, you know, they run an average amount of pick and roll. So average amount of ISO, average amount of posting up. They're pretty balanced, but they pull up for shots a bunch and they're really good at it. This is a very good three-point shooting team, very good catch and shoot and pull up three-point shooting team, or just in general, three-point shooting team. And they have the fourth, these numbers are a couple of days old, but they had the fourth highest rate of pull-ups as of a few days ago. And on pull-up threes, Devin Booker's 35th in the league. Chris Paul's 38th in terms of pull-up three uh, frequency. Those guys shoot 31% from Booker, which does not scare me. And then 36% from Chris Paul, which is more respectable. I think it's actually up to 37 as of uh, the most recent numbers. Um 31% from Booker on the season, not great, but a 31% three-point shooter can certainly shoot above that for a stretch. So it's not that you completely don't respect it, but you know the, the big picture numbers game over a seven-game series, I'm, I feel a little bit better about that. Now, where this team takes a ton of pull-ups is pull-up twos. Um, Chris Paul second, Booker fourth in pull-up twos per game. Both of them shoot 51% on the, on those, which for pull-up twos is really, really good. Like that's a, a solid point per, point per possession. That's pretty good offense. There are a lot of players in the NBA where you say, you know, that wasn't a good shot. For these two guys, it was a good shot. Um, but the thing about their pull-up two-point shooting is such a high percentage of it comes from their ball screens. And this is the issue with every team the Lakers are going to run into that has pick-and-roll ball handlers that are trying to beat you by taking pull-ups, whether it's threes or twos. And Steph Curry's a, a more evolved version of these two in this respect. Because the Lakers will run more aggressive screen coverages, that's just not there. You won't be able to take 10 pull-up twos against drop coverage a game against the Lakers. Steph Curry won't get off 23s again against the Lakers. And in order for him to get off the, the little threes that he did get, he had to sprint around like Caruso and AD double-teaming him. Like, these two uh -huh. guys aren't going to do that. They're not going to hit that buzzer-beater shot that Steph made. They're going to get the ball out. And then you live with their wings trying to dribble or their bigs trying to play make, and you're in good shape. Um, so for that reason, a big, big thing that really helped this team, this really very good offense, succeed in the regular season was pull-up two-point shooting against a league that runs drop coverage as their number one pick-and-roll defense. You are not going to see a drop coverage from the Lakers this series unless maybe Drummond runs some of it, maybe Marcus will run some of it, but it wouldn't make sense. That shouldn't be the game plan. So in that area, that is something that they're very good at that we are absolutely going to take away and makes me feel really good because, you know, that's one of the things they're best at.
So take that away. You don't need to collapse the whole defense. Just stop them. Don't let them penetrate. And you can do a lot of damage to this offense's effectiveness just right off the start. So you're telling me there's empirical data saying the Lakers are a bad matchup for the Suns. And uh, sorry, I just I, I had retweeted uh, stupid HP basketball a little bit just before, you know, recording this because he thinks that it's a, it's already determined the Lakers will win because it's the Lakers in the NBA. And I'm like, dude, just ignoring. I'm sorry. I had to get it. Off hey, my man, chest. when you're a, when you're a Denver fan and the only rings you have are like ring pops you get these crazy thoughts in your head sometimes. Come on, man. Like, it's always, everything he's doing, conspiracy theory after, like, you know, got to prop up. Jokic, who's the MVP, should be the MVP. But, like, tearing down other teams' players, tearing right. down Steph Curry or Gobert, whoever it happens to be. Like, come on. Get, get out of here. Right. No, absolutely. Lakers are in good shape. Lakers, I feel really good about that. I, I, I probably shouldn't say that. I bet a lot of money on the Lakers in this series. Um, a lot, a lot, I, I, enough money that I couldn't go to bed last night. I had to like scout him for an extra two hours. Cause I was, I was like sick to my stomach that I put that much money down. Um, the Lakers are going to be in good shape and we're like halfway through this, but Ellie's going to be in good shape and expect to see similar things in this series that we saw against the Warriors with the aggressive screen coverages. That was a good tune up game for this because we're going to be asking similar things of our big men. Um, normally we're in that catch soft hedge expect either, you know, showing and recovering or outright trapping, I think is probably the way to go. Um, this is an elite offense. They do smart things against drop. They do smart things against catch hedging against showing and recovering against trapping. They haven't been nearly as successful. Um, they don't reject screens much. They don't split hedges much. We saw uh, Andre Drummond get split a couple times. Uh, Marcus Saul will get split at times. This isn't a team that really does much of that. So that is something that in theory could work against more aggressive screen coverages that they just don't do. Um, that's really helpful to me. Getting them into 4v3s with AD recovering and turning it back into a 4v4 is something I feel good about when the guys that are needing to make decisions or needing to dribble are their wings and bigs. Um, so can something I want to point out here is just sorry if I interrupted your point. I was just going to say about the like the Lakers, you know, we talked about them like weakening or icing side pick and rolls, mm -hmm. which I do think that the Suns can not exploit, but find ways to, you know, get into mid rangers outside of the drop coverage kind of yep. uh, scenario. And then the other thing is, yeah, in the second half, uh, when the pick and roll was really not working, Trez showing high, you know, they start to flatten that angle of the screen and Booker, Chris Paul get downhill. That could be another way of it's not drop coverage, but you can dribble into a, a floater, which they're not great at, but they can dribble into a leading mid ranger that, that's a good shot if that, you know, guy doesn't kind of step up hard enough or, you know, kick it to the corner, you know. So they 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 move in spaces, their offense to me and quick decision making that Monty Williams kind of system. Yeah. The, when Monty talks about space he, or I'm just, not spacing, when he talks about pace, he doesn't mean run fast in transition. He means make quick decisions. I think they call it a their their half second offense. You right. catch the ball within half a second. You need to shoot, shoot pass, dribble pass. Yep. Yep. So, and, you know, sometimes some guys are better at that than others, but 
it's about making the guys who are less good at that need to be put in more of those situations. And against the Lakers defense that recovers as well as it does and scrambles and gets around and turns 4v3s into 4v4s, you need to make those quick decisions. So that's an approach that you can put this Suns offense in that they might, you know, do a really good job. They might like run the table from a decision-making standpoint and get good shots. But more often than not, the Lakers just, it's a strength of theirs. It's a weakness of the Suns. The personnel lines up perfectly for LA on both ends. It is the style of play that I think they sh- internally will feel really confident about uh, winning long-term on that end of the court. Right. And they do have a nice little Spain action as well. I noticed in some of the film, but that's again, a little contingent mm-hmm. upon the drop uh, and all those kind of counters with Booker kind of exiting to a side instead are kind of nice counters for them. But uh, the Lakers ability to be good at what the, they want to do without sacrificing like with Drummond and even better with AD makes it just a just awful matchup for them as well. So, you know, you want to, you know, get the ball out of those guys' hands, get it into a certain couple guys because, right, there's a list here of guys you want to attack closeouts in Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder. And, you know, Mikhail Bridges has some athleticism. Maybe he can he can dunk it on your head, but he's not going to finish in the mid-range or anything like that. So mm-hmm. the Lakers, you know, with their size advantage, you, you've got AD, Drummond floating around, LeBron. Someone's going to be there to get in the way. Yep. And with how the Suns run their pick and roll offense, it'll look similar to what the Warriors did when the Lakers were trapping, where they know you're sending an aggressive hedge. So they're not running the ball screen in a direction where like, once you come off the screen, there's a bunch of space. Instead, they will run those screens towards another offensive player in a way that creates space on the back end. So once you do hit that short roll or once you do slip that screener and and get the ball out, it's uh, more spaced out 3v2. This is kind of what the Warriors did. And what stands out most to me about this is it allows your big man trapping in the action to, instead of having to, you know, book it, flip his hips hips and uh, run another direction to recover, he can recover to the offensive player right in front of him. And the defender of that player can be helping down to rotate a step sooner or half step sooner. And that helps you in those 3v2 situations. So there were a lot of instances against the dubs and in previous games against Dallas, we saw this against Portland. We saw this a little bit where the offense running that ball screen towards uh, from the, you know, from the top of the key towards the wing where there's already a player standing at the wing, that defender can help down and and help defend the, the numbers disadvantage. And then you're trapping big, only has three steps to go um, with how little cutting and playmaking and, and dribbling there is for the Suns. I feel even better about that in this matchup. And because the responsibility from a rotation standpoint for Marcus Saul for Pete and I had a discussion on Twitter about if Andre Drummond's rotations are different from the other players, but if we assume all the big men rotations are the same, you can have Drummond, you can have Marcus Saul, you can have AD, any of those guys, Trapping because of the recovery, whether it's 80 and he's fast or it's Marcus Saul and he's slow, is only like 10 feet, 15 feet. They don't need to turn around and sprint all the way over to the other side of the court. So that makes me feel better about this as well. 
Yeah, they don't No, No team posts up a ton anymore, but they do for Aiton uh, quite a bit. And I do wonder if maybe Booker, who's second on the team in post ups, posting up on KCP might be something they increase the volume in post the ISOs and trying to clear a side out because Booker, I think, has a, a fairly clear advantage over KCP more times than not, even though KCP will do his best I, I kind of like either a more active uh suffocating like defender like a crusoe or just a bigger defender in a west or a longer tht yeah absolutely the the suns have a menu of attacks they can choose to go to and they go sit down at the the the, ho- the restaurant and they they pull up their menu and they're gonna be like oh i'll have the steak tonight and the steak tonight is gonna be devin booker attacking like dennis Schroeder or kcp in the post they don't do it a ton, but tonight feels like a good night for that. I'm, you know, I'm in the right mood. It's we're gonna go for. I'm gonna go get that filet mignon, and they only do it one and a half times a game on average. But if you give them the mismatches, they're gonna exploit the mismatches. So that's one thing that might not, probably won't be a storyline in the series, but could be depending on how you decide to match up against Devin Booker. Um, Another thing that they do with their post-ups, because Aiden, like we covered, he's not a dominant post player. But what they will do is if you front him or you three-quarter high deny where you're mostly in front of his body, what they'll do is they'll have him go and set a ball screen. So instead of you being behind him in a position to contain, you are also kind of sandwiched into the action and you push one defender into the other defender screen and both at the same time, and that clears up space for them to drive. So that's Tim. one of the many, many Tim. small things that they do. They, yeah. They're they're not fronting. DeAndre I, I, I know. That's so not- so <laughs> they will. No, 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 no. The thing is, normally no, if they get a mismatch, that's when it okay. could make sense. Okay. Yeah, no, no. You're yeah, you're yeah, right there. You're right good there. Good point. If Anthony Davis is fronting DeAndre Aiden, something is very wrong and Frank Vogel's <laughs> calling out for help. Like even Andre Drummond, right? Like none of these guys are fronting DeAndre Dre. All these guys are gonna try yeah. and take it in the chest and say, Come at me, bro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if if the Lakers do end up switching at all, which I think is also a viable strategy with Anthony Davis at the five we might see some of this. So in that instance, if that happens, it might not even happen in game one. We didn't see the AD. He actually wasn't rotating all that well against the Warriors. He wasn't as mobile as we've seen him be in the past or even recently. If he is in a position where he's switching instead of hedging, which is what the Lakers had him doing against the Warriors for the most part, this might be something we run into. But often it probably won't be. Um, another thing they'll do is if you if, if they have the roller attacking downhill, and you tag, you have one of those, you know, corner shooter defenders, Mikel Bridges' defender. Let's say it's KCP. So KCP's guarding Mikel Bridges, so we can have uh, Wes Matthews guarding Booker, and KCP needs to run over and tag that rollman, which he's very good at. What Aiton will do is he'll turn, he'll get the right angle, and he'll just post you up. He'll keep you there. He won't let you go recover. He'll keep you there, and that's a mismatch. So that's something to keep an eye out for as well. That's, again, one of, they do like a dozen little tiny things that are just little marginal victories for this offense that are just so freaking brilliant. And I take good notes about because one day when I'm coaching, I, I really want to be using some of these things. That's cool. They, I think they're a good three point shooting team as well. And that's kind of where they beat the Lakers uh, a couple times this season, but the third and quality 19th and shot making, you know, they have very uh, specific places and, you know, per cleaning the glass, they're 21 uh, out of 30 teams in non-corner threes, 26% as a team and frequency. And they, they get the most frequent corner threes. Like that's their most often three is 
Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I butchered the way phrasing. I think you get the point. They though, take Tim. a lot of corner yes, threes. Yes, they don't they take, take a lot of above the break threes. Correct. Part of and, why and they're that's extremely the case. accurate at those corner threes. Yes, absolutely. And you see that in the 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 quality, the quality on their perimeter shooting. You said third. The quality on their finishing at the rim. Um, I thought this was really interesting. They're first in shot quality at the rim. They're 30th right. ranked in terms of getting frequency. To the rim. This is a team yep. on corner threes and at the rim yep. that either Booker or Chris Paul do it for themselves. Campaign can do it for himself. Everybody else has to be spoon fed. Every shot at the rim is a spoon fed shot. Every corner three is a spoon fed corner three. This is a team full of stationary shooters, not movement shooters. Um, they don't much. They run off screen actions for Cam Johnson a little, Devin Booker a tad, and like that's it. So it's it's just really interesting to me that that's how they've been operating because what that screams to me is if you can shut the supply off at all, suddenly they are playing a completely different version of offensive basketball than they're used to and comfortable with. So that that is good to know. Um, if we look at their three point shooting among the different players. Bridges and Crowder are stationary corner three-point shooters. Their like average three-point distance is super low. They're only taking corner threes for the most part. Um, Sarich and Johnson are below average three-point shot makers. Uh, Bridges and Crowder are very good three-point shot makers, but on very easy quality. Uh, Payne is very good as a shot-making shooter, but average quality first threes. And then good on easy shots, but not quite very good, not elite, are Kaminsky and Troy Craig. And then good on hard shots are Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So they have some pretty good three-point shooters. It's just if you can drop that quality or make them have to create them themselves, they either just won't even shoot the threes or they're going to start breaking stuff. Yeah, just a good thing for another thing for Lakers fans to look for. I would just say general three-point you know, field goal percentage from the Suns is an indicator for, okay, if they're 50 something percent, they're probably going to be overperforming, you know, and, and, and might steal a game. They can do that. That's their recipe to success and to victory. Uh, so keeping an eye on that, but not only just like what they're shooting, but how many from the corners. So if we're giving up a lot of corner threes in a game and they're not maybe going down, you should maybe feel a little bit, you know, worried about that. Yeah. And I don't, anticipate we'll see a bunch of that because how they generate a lot of those corner threes is again going back to like regular season defenses running drop coverage you have to go tag that roll man and then they spray the ball out to the corners and they get good shots because the lakers won't do that if they're able to recover well in those four v3s one like process indicator on the sun's end will be the corner three-point volume going down if if the Lakers can recover in four four v threes or three v two situations we're not going to see those corner threes because this isn't a team that's going to drive and kick and drive and kick they've got a couple guys that can drive and kick and then everybody else is just going to take the shot where their feet are right now um so that that is something to keep an eye on if the lakers are giving up a bunch of corner threes something's not going right um, but given how I think the Lakers want to go into this matchup, I feel pretty good about that as well. This is another area Suns are very good at. I don't think it's going to translate based on how the Lakers are probably going to defend them, but they, it, it could, and they could steal some games, but it's a good strength to be aware of. It's a lot easier. I, I think to, uh, to, 
build a defense too around you know where you know the point of attack is going to be almost at all times uh we though we do Mm -hmm. did see campaign have the game of his life to keep that last game interesting you gotta be considerate of that so you know there'll be a time where it'll be campaign and devin booker and you know they'll always have cp or, or booker on the court like us and ad and lebron so but but campaign can be somebody who can maybe exploit if we play trez in the backup five you know he can you know help that bench kind of outperform their uh their losses in in chris paul being off the floor so i would yeah. just keep an eye on him too he's an x factor he yeah, is right. going to get to the rim he's kind of like shooter in that he'll attack not directly at the rim but he'll kind of attack the bait he'll he'll go towards the baseline itself and then you know finish over um so that is something to watch him attacking down the sidelines or attacking in a ball screen and and just he's good about his pick and roll pace not that he sprints into it or he's really slow he's not putting guys in jail but he takes enough time and he lets his big man get downhill enough that your big man has to take away that dump off to Aiden and that's when he uses his burst to go finish at the rim. But again, if the Lakers aren't running drop coverage, as long as you don't get beat around the corner on a hedge, that's another X factor that may not look the the way he usually does. So he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. Um, he is someone as well that hit Chris Paul and Devin Booker are their only like legit, you know, very good elite playmakers. Payne can make some of these reads. He is a low versatility, but high vol- volume and like okay quality passer. So what that tells me is he's making sets out of he's making reads out of sets and he's making simple reads. He's not making complex reads. When he's driving, he's driving to score for the most part. Um, he's not making crazy skip passes and reading complex defensive types. So if if you know going into this matchup, those are the three guys you have to keep an eye out for from a playmaking standpoint, and nobody else is really standing out in the film or in the data. I looked at the film on Aiton, Kaminsky, and Sarge from a passing standpoint. It's it's a lot of dribble handoffs. It's, you know, some back cuts, but for the most part, it's there's no short roll passing on this team. And it's not, you know, we're going to pick you apart, mark us off from the top of the key kind of stuff. So from a playmaking standpoint, this team is there. They have their two major hubs and that's about it. All right, Tim. So I know you scouted the the Phoenix offense extensively and you've broken down some counters to these plays that they have. For, unfortunately, it's not the most conducive to the audio format. So is there anything kind of about their sets, kind of principles you want to take away uh, or touch on again here before we maybe talk a little about the Lakers offense? Sure. They use Booker a lot as a threat and as a decoy, and they do a good job of building plays that look the same but then use him in the opposite way so just like earlier on that Spain action where he is the one starting under the rim and then setting a back screen for a roller is kind of the countered by that roller setting a screen for him just to run up towards the top of the key that looks the same starts the same different result and if you're not communicating well on defense can result in wide open shots In other areas, they do similar things with uh, a lot out of horns where you have ball handle at the top of the key, two corner shooters, and then two guys at the wings. They'll run a lot, especially for Booker, where he starts at one elbow and he runs side to side from one elbow towards the wing off a screen from the other elbow. And if you go under it, he might just stop, catch and pop. If you trail him, uh, he'll try to catch and then turn the corner. Um, 
if you try to like bump him with the other player there, that other elbow guy can just kind of cut to the rim because everybody's spaced out pretty well. So it's a situation where because they're I, I, I think about it this way. I'm not worried about their bigs shooting. I'm not worried about their bigs catching and running quick dribble handoffs the way Draymond Green does. So I'm going to drop my big guys in these actions when it's attacking side to side. So they have anything curling or cutting to the rim. And then you just trail or top lock Booker and don't let him get easy catches. Just like that Golden State game, you want to have ball pressure to make these catches harder because maybe he'll get half a step on Wes. But if he the ball's thrown in the wrong spot, you are able to recover. Um, they'll run a lot of plays for him where he's uh, getting like empty side pin downs. Um, any pin down, I want to top lock. Uh, I want to drop my big. Any of the the side to side actions, I actually, I'm sorry, I want to go under those. I'm 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 butchering this. If he's go attacking side to side, I'm going to go under because he doesn't trail or he doesn't curl. If he's attacking down, running up, I want to top lock him if I can and drop my big in case he back cuts. Um, if he is uh, doing any other kinds of actions going side to side, I, I just want to go under those. But in general, ball pressure and help off of Camp Johnson, Dario Saric. Um, if Javon Carter, for some reason, plays, you can help off of him, help off of Aiden. They have guys who aren't shooters that you can help off of just to protect against back cuts or to bump the cutter, um, just make life difficult. So by the time they run their action and by the time he does catch, he's either further out than he wants to be, or he's not able to catch and quickly turn the corner. We want to turn off screen actions into isolations instead, because that is just, you know, negate the action, be set as a defense, go ahead and try to attack. You just wasted five seconds. That, that would be the goal with these and just play off of the fact that, you know, he's not going to curl. Um, and you know you can help off their bigs to protect the rim. Yeah, I definitely think that's one thing for KCP to be a strength at is being able to like know when to top lock him and force him kind of you know into a wider kind of uh, surface area that he has to travel and get around to get the ball. Just generally making it tough to get the ball, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. good stuff to look out for there for the Lakers on the defensive side of the ball. But let's go to the Lakers offense versus the Suns defense and. Uh, uh, I think it starts, Tim, and ends with Anthony Davis to me, getting Anthony Davis in positions to succeed because he is such a matchup issue for this team, creating open shots for our shooters, getting KCP, you know, maybe have Chris Paul on him, maybe be able to, to rise above him in some of these, you know, situations where Chris Paul might not be sagging all the way off of him. But, you know, if those those passes are on target, we see KCP with the quick trigger and rise up kind of shoot over Chris Paul. So that could be, that could be something good, but starts and ends with AD. I think personally you might see again, a little bit more of that four or five pick and roll action with Drummond because it pulls Aiton a little bit further away from the rim, makes him make a decision. And then you can get Jay Crowder on Andre Drummond if you'd like. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, Bron can space the floor and, and make some of those, you know, open shots on the wings. If uh, the ball gets to him in those situations too, same goes for Schroeder. Cause he's been, he's been rough in that area. Yeah. And I would go even a step further and say, instead of going four five, try like a, a three, four, or two, four or one, four, like, or, you know, wherever Anthony Davis is, he's got the ball. He's the ball handler. And then have somebody set a screen for him that would give him a matchup he likes. Whether I feel like you're going to see that more with Braun, though. Like more KCP screen I, for Braun and Crusoe screen for Braun. Not that yeah. you can't do both. I just, yeah. I, I Yeah, I would go for both. I think the Lakers probably, like you're saying, will do it more for Braun. Um, 
but I, I would like to see some of, and the Lakers did a little bit of this at the end of the regular season, go throw Anthony Davis, like one of those post entries, he's going to catch it outside the lane line, and then go set a screen for him to be really close to the rim, have to take one dribble, seal Aiton off with your guard, and then AD just rises over Chris Paul or Booker or whoever is there. That sort of, uh, they call it a, a logo pick and roll because usually there's a, some sort of, advertisement or logo or something like that around that spot just outside the lane towards the baseline running those kinds of ball screens i think can work um i think dribble handoffs on the empty side getting ad rolling downhill can be really good um Aiton is somebody who's not going to be like a an ad who can like you know you know stun at you and then recover to a lob he's going to do one or the other um so the more situations you can put their big men into have to make decisions defensively, I think will will be a good situation. Like you said, getting AD catching, uh, attacking off the dribble, penetrating, just in general, go at the rim with everything you're doing. I don't want to see standing around, throw a post entry, and then continue standing around. That's not a good style of offense for the Lakers right now. And like we mentioned earlier, they weren't countering post help well. Uh, against the Suns earlier this season, AD did go off and he he had a very good game. The Suns, from a post standpoint, did a decent job holding him down and they count they uh, sent help 70% of the time, which is like way, way higher than they normally do against other teams. And it's actually pretty high, even relative to what the Lakers are used to seeing. So um actually I'm sorry, 75%. Uh and 80% of that help came from spots that would expose the weak side. So LA didn't do well. They scored 0.63 points per possession on help, uh, against help without countering it. They kicked the defense is but when they got true one V ones for AD. Um, but that is, if, if you're not going to win that tactical battle, I'd say just try to avoid it for this matchup and get more AD ball handling or attacking uh, while moving instead. Well, uh, so they're gonna, they're gonna, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna post ISO AD and he's going to take a bunch of mid rangers. But so <laughs> the, but Tim, uh, something I noticed too, from the film is that, it, there's a pretty simple uh, counter to that because Jay Crowder uh, fronted often in the in the finals last year. He's pretty good at it. He's physical. He's good mm-hmm. at kind of poking the ball away. He's got good timing. Lakers had some issues there in the post entry department last offseason. So consider that you run this little three man triangle action where. So basically what happens, right? You've got le- like LeBron, let's say on the left left block, you know, mid range block. He's got Crowder on his front and then they're going to bring the strong side or, you know, like the dunker spot guy to like bracket him in right there. Right. And, and yep. they did this with Aiton and he's uh, objectively doesn't know where and when to be. You have the ball handler on the left wing who's trying to post entry pass. Who's the fronting from? Right. Ball handler gives it to the guy at the top of the key who automatically now has, you know, a wide open pass to Braun streaking right to the basket on DeAndre Ayton like sagged back to his guy in the dunker spot for no reason and just gave Braun an open dunk. And they've done this play a little bit on the left side a couple times in that same game. It's just you you don't have that front pass. You get put another guy like not quite a full at the top of the key, but kind of shading to that side. And you, you he has a lane. And and then it's yep. just break. It's three on two. You know, you skip to the yeah. weak side if they if they help too far. And KZP has a three. Yeah, it's basketball is about numbers. It's about leverage. And you're describing angles. Like high, angles. attacking high low. Yeah, the yeah. angles. If you're fronting a post player. It, it, so if the, the, the guy with the ball has to pass over a defender to get it into the post and then there's somebody behind him waiting to you know pick off that lob. 
that lob pass, you just can't throw that. If you flip the angles, suddenly your offensive player has him his man on his back. Exactly. And then that guy there that's there to help either is sagged off of the player, like you're saying, that'll flash to the top, uh, flash to the free throw line. It might be open for a shot. If he goes and, and takes that free throw player, suddenly you have AD with inside position. And you just throw that ball in. That's an easy bucket. Uh, another thing that we can do, and I, I posted a video about this maybe a week ago, is in those situations, if let's say uh, the guy who's providing that help on the post up is coming from the opposite corner, what you can do then is set just a pin down on the weak side. And you have a 2v1 situation where there's two offensive players, one defender, screen the defender, get the ball to the open shooter. Just nice, quick skip pass, open threes. This is something that Kansas does really well because the Kansas Jayhawk offense for many years relied on post players who they weren't trying to back you down and use a bunch of crazy post moves. They were trying to get between the defender and the basket, put a hand up, you lob the ball into them. And if the ball gets inside, it's going to be a dunk or a foul every time, pretty much. So it's about removing that extra layer of help, that extra layer of protection. Because if, like you're saying, the ball's at the left wing, 80's at the left block, his man's fronting him, and there's no protection against the lob, that's easy money. So all you have to do is either remove that guy by running that pin down and him being like, oh, got to go guard my guy. And then the the interior pass is open. Or if he is stubborn and stays on AD, you have an open shot on the weak side. So that is another way, depending on how the Suns are running this help, to potentially counter it um, if, you know, if you don't want to have a bunch of situations where the result is Trez catch at the free throw line and need to make a decision about do I – shoot do i dribble then shoot do i try to force the dump off to ad because if ayton's the guy helping his man if it's drummond or whoever we want to make sure they're ready to make decisions just how we were talking about putting the sun's bigs in decision making positions this is a fairly unique not something the lakers players are practicing and doing and, and running in, in uh games every day um so that might be a, a uncomfortable situation for them and might lead to some suboptimal decision making but if you've got guys there you trust, go for it. If that's somebody fronting Drummond and it's AD flashing to the high post, man, I love that. He's probably just going to shoot the free throw shot anyway every time. But he's I trust him to make those decisions more than I trust maybe Montrez Harrell or, or Andre yeah. Drummond. So it's, I don't know, there are different options for the Lakers, but you, you bring up a great point. This is the Suns defense that not only are they going to send help after the catch, they are going to do things before the catch to keep you from even getting that ball into the post. And the way that they trap after the catch kind of fits right together with that. If you're going to get the ball, if, if AD, if you're AD and you know, they throw that ball in over the top against the fronting defender, you then are probably taking a step or two to catch it and you're running right into that help. Um, so this can easily turn into charges on AD. This can really easy to easily turn into turnovers because um, then you end up just sandwiched between two defenders. So you have to remove that back end help, or exploit that backhand help. You can't just blindly throw post passes and post entries um, into like really, really tight windows and expect success. I don't remember if it was this game, but like some game that in the season, the Lakers scored like 84 points in the paint. And I feel like something similar could happen in this series. And that does a couple things, right? That if is an indicator, Lakers fans, if you want to watch uh, points in the paint will will be another indicator of Lakers success here. And and that means you're making on DeAndre Aiden make decisions, right? Mm-hmm. You're putting him in a lot of places where, you know, whether he's there or not, 
he he has to make a decision. And so that's more conducive to to those paint points. So the other thing is we mentioned about his importance on defense because of him being the only thing. Well, we can attack him on the offensive end, get him into a little bit of foul trouble where he has an F foul trouble percent grade. So he's susceptible. So that's another way the Lakers can, you know, just pile on to their advantage. And and maybe the Suns find figure a way to play effective small ball and make us adjust to them. But I still they're still adjusting to our strength. And that's in a power position. Yeah, I think the path to success for Phoenix playing smaller is switch everything hope the Lakers ISO and then bring extra help front the post stuff like that. If the Lakers are able to attack this defense with players cutting players, moving players, driving, and then, you know, finishing on dump off passes or drives to the rim. That is where the Lakers can really put this defense away. Um, outside of Aiden, who's a C plus versus other centers at that uh, disruption of shots at the rim. Everybody else on this team is like an F or a D. This is not a team that is, you know, making players driving or shooting at the rim really worry or, or be disrupted um, in terms of shots at the rim. So it, it, all, all these things fit together. The offense, the defense, it fits together. Go attack Aiton, go attack Chris Paul, um, get these guys in trouble, and it can really help turn what has been a very good team into not so great a team. Other options, obviously, the post, their post defense is going to come in a big factor because no matter what, you know, Bron, AD, you're going to get some of those post touches, maybe, you know, Drummond, maybe Trez, depending. Um, but so so where do you think the their post defense overall is going to come into play as far as like one on one matchups in them? If they do want to play, you know, is there any like maybe one guy on another guy that you think could work out in their favor? I think the Lakers have a couple options. Like anybody they're throwing at Anthony Davis, I feel pretty good about attacking 1v1. And as a team, Phoenix's like points per possession defending post scores is 18th. It's it's average, a little bit below average. Their overall post defense is fifth best because they do a good job. If you are, you know, getting swarmed and kicking it out, they do a good job scrambling and recovering and negating numbers advantages. So if you're not organized, there you're playing right into their hands but if you can counter it well that works or if you can get true 1v1s whether it's against Sarge or Kaminsky who are both very poor post defenders um Aiton's okay as a post defender but AD should fare well if you can get those true 1v1 situations the Lakers can eat inside um Drummond I wouldn't have posting up Aiton I think if Sarge is out there he I think I feel pretty good about that, but I wouldn't want that to be like the focal point of my offense. Um, but it's a good like late clock option. If he's able to like get deep position first, then catch, then just, you know, do your post hook or go to the rim. Um, that is a good spot. Or if you're able to force some switches, if this team is switching a bunch and then get like Chris Paul or whoever on Andre Drummond and, and just bury them low, bury them down low the best you can. I think that's how you want to attack them. And, Interestingly enough, as much as they help and as much as they're disruptive against post-ups, they're kind of the opposite against isolation. They don't help much at all. They're 27th ranked in terms of guarding isolation scores, that player, and then also 27th ranked in terms of that player scoring or kicking it out to teammates and them scoring. So they're weak at that, and because of that, maybe we'll see the Lakers attack more with AD perimeter isos and then him driving 
in LeBron perimeter isolations and him driving. And hopefully he looks a little bit better than he did against Golden State in that first half where he was just missing some shots at the rim, man. Like he was missing layups. Schroeder was missing layups. AD was missing some shots. If you can get them looking the way we we are used to seeing them look, attacking downhill and, and, you know, making the smart dump offs if you need to. Drummond will get a flush. Trez will get easy shots. If the Saul's out there, he's spacing the floor attack in that kind of manner that is something this defense is not so good against yeah i mean you can probably see schroeder attack ayton in the drop coverage and the pick and roll you know kind of talk about how they defend the pick and roll uh they're obviously switch more when sarge and kaminsky are on the court but if that's true you know you can go with what we talked about before get alex crusoe or dennis schroeder to go screen for lebron get you know force them to switch cp3 onto him and um and, and, you know, they're not going to do it. They, they'll give you a lane. And if they do, they're going to probably double, try to get out of the hand. So it, it just creates a lot of problems for them on that end of things. So mm-hmm. um, go with them. You know, you can do uh, KCP go sets the screen for Braun to get a switch. And then AD comes up and does an AD Braun pick and roll with a little guy, too, who's going to have to, yeah. you know, kind of fight and try and get back on AD. So mm-hmm. that I expect the LeBron AD pick and roll to feature prominently in crunch time, at least, uh, especially in the four or five lineups that they're going to be playing. What worries me about that is if I guess it's specifically if Tory Craig, if he's playing or if uh, Jay Crowder is guarding Anthony Davis, they'll probably just switch that. And if you end up with like, I guess, who, who would that end up being? So you'd have like Mikel Bridges guarding Anthony Davis in the post, probably with help, and then Jay Crowder against LeBron. If LeBron's looking the way he did a couple of days ago, I that's a matchup that I don't feel awesome about. That would be my fear. But if they're not switching, yeah, like absolutely go after that. Or like you're saying, get other players involved first, you know, four switches early and then go into that ball screen. Exactly mm-hmm. like you were saying. So I, I think I think that's a pretty smart strategy. Getting picking the switches right. and then go after. It. And we've seen like, like we've seen LeBron with like the Cavs teams literally be like him. Yeah. <laughs> go point at Isaiah Thomas. I want that guy. So, you know, force that switch and then come over to me. Um, don't go bring me a good defender. Bring me somebody I can go attack. So I think that's a good way to attack. Um, if Phoenix decides to try to drop instead, you can try to seal that dropping big or back screen that dropping big. Just get that drop out of the way so LeBron can attack downhill or he'll do a good job snaking the pick and roll, putting his guy in jail and then trying to get the 2v1 angles, hmm. uh, get some lobs to AD. I don't know if they're going to drop. I don't think they will drop, but if they yeah. do, that's how I'd attack it. Well, Something- also, Kuz, Kuz on ghost screens, you know, get yeah. Kuz, if Kuz is guarded by Cam Johnson, you know, put him in, in action, you know, mm-hmm. get, get have him screen for Braun and kind of like force those ghost screens uh, and, and like top and of the second quarter, be, you know? Yeah. And that's going to either be switching or show and recover, which is something I do think Phoenix might do. And it's something we've seen them use frequently. They, they've used it before. They used it against San Antonio at the end of the season, which I don't think was ideal against the Spurs. So maybe that was them prepping for the Lakers. Uh, if they're, whether it's a guard screening, and usually in the NBA, when a Alex Caruso goes sets and goes and sets a screen for a LeBron James, Alex Caruso's guy is going to step out. He's not going to, he hopefully isn't switching on LeBron. He's not going to run a drop coverage. Guards don't run drop coverage, but he's going to just, you know, step out, get in the way, try to contain Braun for a second and then recover to Caruso. Like you're saying, if you're running a ghost screen in that instance, 
as that defender steps out to try to contain LeBron, his man's booking it the other way. So I don't know if we want like AC shooting off of motion, but Kuzma, like you're saying, or maybe KCP uh, Mm -hmm. catching in some of those, that can be some open threes. And you want to try to run it in situations where there's no one else around them. We've actually seen the Lakers run some plays. Wes maybe too. Yeah. Wes as well. Yeah. We've actually, yeah. I'm, I'm like picturing the play in my head and it was one of those, you know, go screen. And then Wes goes to an open corner where there's no help coming. And if they don't switch it, he's open. If they're showing and recover, he's open. Um, If the defense is showing and recovering, you're going to need some back end rotations behind that. Same thing as if they're trapping. Whenever you have to put two guys on the ball and there's a roller, let's say the Lakers are just screening with AD or Drummond or whoever, they're rolling. The defense needs somebody to go tag that roll man or it's going to be a lob. So something, this was my late at night. I hope it is a good idea because I thought of it crazy late. Run those if they're showing them recovering. Go stick KCP or whoever Chris Paul is hiding on in the position for where the help should come from. Because either it won't come and you've got a shot at the rim or if it does come, get the ball there anyway and go attack that mismatch. So that's my way of, again, forcing Chris Paul onto Andre Drummond, whether he likes it or not, uh, if, if they happen to be showing and recovering. So that's something you could do if they're trapping. I think getting Anthony Davis in a short roll attacking downhill with his ball handling, his ability to create off the dribble, finish at the rim and, and pass out if he needs to would be a really good way to attack this defense. Um, I like 4v3s with him running them a lot more than I like them with like Trez or Gasol or Andre Drummond running those. Oh, definitely. Uh, are there other places where you might be worried about L.A. struggling with their offense, which has kind of been the you know thorn in the side all season? And, and since LeBron is a little bit hindered, it makes some of those isolations a little bit less valuable and uh, consistent, I should say. Uh, AD's face up shot isn't falling. Same kind of thing. So are there are other places in the offense that uh, I guess worries you about them, maybe not countering the post ups or other things like that? Yeah, not counting the post-ups, if they're running aggressive screen coverages and it ends up with the Lakers attacking with like Drummond in the short roll, I don't feel great about that situation. Drummond can make some dribble handoff you know, passes. He can pass to back cutters, but he is not the kind of guy that you get the ball to. He hears the footsteps, footsteps coming behind him, and he needs to go attack a 4v3 off the dribble. That's, that's not really his game. Um, so whether it's with them dropping or catch hedging or trapping or showing him recovering any sort of short roll catching for Drummond where the read isn't like I'm at the rim already time to go finish at the rim. I don't feel fantastic about. And that's something that we saw him pushed into against Phoenix in our matchups with them earlier this season. I think he may have only played in one of them by the time he was on the team, but it didn't look great. So Hopefully the team stays away from that. If they are playing more aggressive coverages, get AD in those situations instead. Go stick Drummond in the dunker spot. Um, But that is just something that we could see the Lakers fall into if they're not purposeful about how they attack. Another thing that we should know about the Phoenix defense is they'll switch off-ball actions a good bit. Not a ton, but more than most teams. So if you want to attack something like that, that would be a situation, again, where, you know, throw Gasol out there, let him stand at the top of the key and have guys moving around and cutting and setting pin downs where they end up slipping the screen. Those are situations where Phoenix is just weak at defending in general. And on film, I saw teams attack that with back cuts or those screens that ended up being slips that worked very well. 
as well as um, just in general, you know, that five out, I'm going to dribble at you, you take a step towards me and then cut to the rim, Gasol's going to find you on a cut. That sort of stuff, I think, can be really effective, especially if they don't have DeAndre Ayton out there to defend the rim. Kind of closing up here, Tim, getting to the end, some key concepts, right, to keep it simple for people. On defense, make Phoenix's big into passers. Uh, make Phoenix's wings have to do more than catch and shoot. Make Booker and CP3 pull up twos be isolation. They're not t- yeah, we don't want them taking, like, pick and roll against a drop coverage. I'm just going to, you know, in rhythm step into a pull up two. If they're going to be shooting pull up twos, I want it to be 1v1 step back with AD putting a hand up as I'm fading away. Because they're way, way less uh, effective in those situations compared. And they can hit them. They can hit some of those. They're going to hit some of those. But it's much worse offense for them than their normal form of pull-up two-point shooting. Definitely. And on offense, we mentioned it. Attack the rim. Attack their weak points. You know, put Aiton into decision-making positions. Put him into foul-making decisions. Uh be out physical. He's big, but he's not a physical player yet. And uh, Lakers have the advantage in that uh, that respect. But they are going to counter or they're going to, you know, adjust and front in the post and double uh, from the baseline. And so there needs to be counters on the weak side. And AD's timing passing out of doubles is going to be very important. Um, you're going to want to attack Chris Paul. Uh, whoever he's guarding, you know what I mean? Like he's hidden on defense the way you mentioned before. So attack those things. And and just generally, right, I think this is a good point. Make better decision-making. This is going to be a nut-crunching time, so there's no need for Dennis Schroeder to take a mediocre kind of open three from, from with like 15 seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, that last game against Golden State, he took shots from three with 20, 18, 16, 15. On average, it was 14 seconds left on the shot clock. Him taking one with like two seconds left helped bring that number down. But there were a lot of plays where the Lakers took a shot they probably didn't need to take. You can go make a better decision, get into another action, go get the ball to LeBron or AD. And don't force it up if it's early in the shot clock. If you're wide open and you're a good three-point shooter, take it. I want KCP shooting with confidence. I want Kyle Kuzma shooting with confidence. But I don't want guys like Dennis Schroeder or THT, for example, forcing shots up if they're not there. So I think some of the, those are some of the core concepts. One last thing I, I forgot to mention, from an isolation standpoint, especially if you are switching with AD at the five, we're going to see situations where Devin Booker or Chris Paul are isolating. Booker hasn't been good. Chris Paul has been very good. But Chris Paul has very clear ISO tendencies. When he isolates against a big man, what he wants to do is he'll even like dribble and back up and then he'll, you know, slowly dribble towards you and he'll do all of his through the legs. All, he's putting on like a dribbling clinic and then he just wants to take a quick three. He doesn't actually want to drive on you. He wants to get you flat on your feet so he can just rise and fire standing still a nice uh, pull up three point shot. So get up into him a little bit more, especially if you're 80 and you think you can stick with him, get into him sit on that three, force him to drive. And then once he does drive, he's way, way less effective, partially because he doesn't get all the way to the rim and he's going to drive. And then he will like 80% of the time, he will turn that into like a a step up or not not a step up, a step back, like pull up fadeaway jumper. So that is a way to turn what could be a, you know, pretty good in rhythm three into a bad contested fadeaway jumper on Chris Paul ISOs, Booker ISOs. He's somebody that has pretty clear handedness tendencies and a lot of players do, but he has a clear weak hand. If he's, if Booker's driving to his right 
He's a good mix of getting to the rim, pull-ups, floaters, all that. If he's driving to his left, he's going to pull up. So force him, you know, shade him towards driving to his left, sit on that pull-up, and you can make who has already been not so great of an ISO player even worse. So that those are two, like at the end of the day, there are going to be some one-on-one situations. Like you said, it's nut crunching time in the playoffs. You have to know those tendencies. You have to know their strong hand, what they want to do, and then sit on what you think they're going to do. So we've gone for a bit here. Hopefully everyone feels prepared. They know what they're looking for. Before we get out of here, though, why don't we – we were taking some notes actually during this, uh, and we highlighted it so we don't forget about it. What are some of the things, Tom, we're going to be tracking or looking at in-game and as this series progresses that the listeners should be keeping an eye out for? So this happened organically because of our conversation, just kind of plucking things that will be relevant. But L.A.'s points in the paint, how much are they attacking the, phys- the f- lack of physicality for Phoenix, lack of size, you know, putting DeAndre J- uh, Ayton into decision making positions, getting him into foul trouble, all that. It's going to play into that uh, on offense as well. When does Mark come in? Does Mark play? Is he the center? The same with THT. If it's that late first quarter when he can maybe get some time guarding Devin Booker in the primary ball handling position that is interesting i'm curious to see about tht and his defense and then on the phoenix side uh you know the three-point percentage of course obvious but how many of the three-point shots come from the corners and how many of them are open uh if that's a lot that's a symbol of phoenix's offense succeeding and them getting the shots that they feel comfortable with and are gearing themselves toward uh the, the lakers need to start taking away and then you know you what you mentioned too about how they perform if the if they blitz CP3 and Booker and be aggressive in those pick and rolls. What are the bigs, uh, Sarich, Aiton, Kaminsky, what do they look like in the short roll? Where are they catching it? Um, so keeping an eye on that stuff, Tim. So, you know, that's the things that hopefully can be, we can make as clear as, as we can for these Laker fans. But now it's prediction time. Now it's prediction time. And I'm going to go first. We'll switch this off, hopefully. I think I'm going Lakers in six. And what it'll come down to, I'll keep it brief. Knocking the rust off. Phoenix is young. Phoenix is chippy. It's going to be a chippy series. So with LeBron revving up, Frank Vogel maybe being a little bit slow with his adjustments, not putting out the most conducive game plan right at the front. I can see Phoenix stealing two games. Absolutely. But it's it's not. I could also see a sweep, but I'm picking Lakers in six. How about you? I think a sweep is possible. I think six games is certainly probably a better money move if you had to pick something. Uh, I'm going to go Lakers in five. I'm going to say the Lakers take care of business in Phoenix and get this thing out, get, you know, get going in five. I was just looking uh, Mike Trudell was tweeting out that uh, saw a quote from LeBron saying he hopes they play more than four games this series so he can knock some of that rust off and, and you know, get working on some of the things he wants to get working on. <laughs> Which I think is funny because this is such a he's talking about it like it's a warm up. <laughs> like God, I wish we could lose a couple games. That at is least. spicy. Bro. Oh, I love it. And and actually, I I hope other people jumped on this as well. The Lakers series odds went from like minus two fifty, so you had to bet two hundred fifty dollars to win hundred bucks. They dropped to like minus one fifty, minus one twenty five. After I think it was Chris Haynes said like, oh man, well my sources are telling me that LeBron James is he's walking around on one leg right now, like as if like he's walking around with an eye patch and a and a peg leg after that last game. And and LeBron came out today and his availability and said he's good to go, he's ready for game one, he's all set. Um, so I jumped on those odds, uh, and I I hope 
some other folks did as well. If the Lakers can win game one, I'm feeling fantastic. I think this can go six, though. I think you're, I think it can even go seven, potentially. I don't think it mm-hmm. should. I think right, if it goes right. six, it's because Bron and AD don't look like Bron and AD, one or both of them, or Vogel is a little bit slow to play some of the cards he knows he has available. Um, and, I, I mean, I think that's got to be it. If the team's healthy and they're – kind of doing what they do at least at an average above average rate tactically i think they're in pretty good shape just because so many of the things that make the sun successful make them who they are are things that the lakers just are just uniquely set up to defend well or attack well from a personnel and just kind of like their default tactic standpoint i don't think they have to get super crazy we don't defensively they don't need to do anything we haven't seen them do they just need it. They can kind of run that Golden State trap game plan against this team, and it it should carry over pretty well. So because of that, I'm going to go a little bit more optimistic and talk myself into Lakers in five. But I think it can go six. I think it can go four. Uh, but regardless, like I feel pretty good about LA in this series. And I really do think this is going to be a very chippy series, Tim. If if you gave me odds on like over under half an ejection, I might go over. And which is not something you would generally do in a playoff series, I feel like. Yeah, I I feel as though by the end of this series, Suns fans are going to be so pissed off with Laker fans and Lakers fans are going to be so pissed off with Chris Paul. This is this yeah. is the first time CP3 has played LeBron in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. Um, this is actually we were the last team to beat Phoenix. Like the last time they went to the playoffs years ago was against the Lakers. We were the last team to knock them off. So uh, lots of interesting things. LeBron's never been knocked off in a first round series before. Lots of interesting yeah. side Good stories omens. that yeah. have nothing to do with the on court stuff that that we just spent an hour and a half talking about. Yeah, but yeah. It, yeah, have fun, have some fun with the uh, the chippiness with the Suns fans because they're a rowdy bunch. They can talk some trash. Uh, and I think it's going to be a fun couple games. And like you said earlier, we'll try to do probably some spaces or maybe locker room with some of the, the Suns guys, Mike and, and Sam. They're, they're good at what they do when they're, they're cool dudes. So uh, maybe we'll get some fan bases together and, and, you know, maybe the petty can come out in that uh, realm as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So be on the lookout Sunday. We got an afternoon game at 1230 Pacific time. So we'll probably record our pod after that and then hop out of spaces uh, some sometime that night. So until then, Tim, let's go Lakers exceptionalism pod. We are in full playoff mode. I thought we did pretty good giving you two hours of Lakers content. But until next time, we'll talk to you later. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.